Good morning. It's so great to hear all of the chatter. I feel like I've missed that welcoming each other. So, and it's great to see so many full faces and not just eyes. So, um, it's great to see smiles and and all of your lovely faces here. So, thanks for being here this morning. Um, I know that God has something for us, so I just want to pray that uh, we would open our hearts to whatever that is this morning. Um, God, thank you that you are here no matter how we come, um, whatever state we're in, Lord. We just ask that you would um, touch our hearts, God, that you would speak to us, and that we would um, just tangibly experience your presence here today. In your name, amen. So my name is Courtney Heerwald, for those of you who might not know, and um, I'm on the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights, and some of you may have seen me help lead worship once a month as well, and I have the privilege of being a part of the racial identity inclusion group that meets every Wednesday here and to lead some life groups that are based on that. So I'm going to give my plug, because I'm up here, so I get to do that. Um, uh, we actually are having a life group that meets once a month coming starting next Saturday, and we're going to be showing a film each time and have discussion afterwards. So you're welcome to join us. It's in your program as well. Uh, feel free to sign up, and if you need childcare, let us know. Um, but we're going to be watching Selma this week, and we're going to be talking about it together. So there'll be food also, so um, come and join us. So that's my plug. Got that out of the way. Got to say that. Um, but I'm also really glad to have that we're kind of back here again to and that I can have my whole family here with me. Oftentimes we haven't all been able to come together. And for those of you who haven't met them yet, um, they're up on the screen there. So that's my husband, Brett, um, who's here this morning. And Micah is my oldest, who's seven. Levi is almost five. And Sophia is three and a half. So that's my lovely family. So. Um, I'm just really thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this community. It's been so life-giving to me, and serving here has been so life-giving. And so I'm just excited for what God wants to do as we're able to come back together even more today. Um, and so, you know, I have had the option to watch online, which is really great. So I'm glad for those of you that are able to watch online. But there's nothing that really beats face-to-face -face connection. And I think that there's something about those uh, kind of random interactions that we have to encourage each other, to support one another, um, that is hard to happen when you're not actually in the same physical place. And I think here we can feel like we're on this journey together, whether or not it feels messy sometimes or not. And I want to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But first, I thought that I would um, kind of frame what I'm going to talk about in the larger context of the series that we've been doing since February. Um, the series has been creators, not consumers, as you know. And um, I just want to give a quick recap of what direction we've been heading in um, since February. We began looking at this series by looking at passages in Genesis 1 and 2 that communicate the creativity of God and the making of human beings as created in God's image and how, in fact, God's desire is for us to create and to take care of creation. And that should permeate everything we do, our work, our play, our view of the future, our families. And this flows out of our identity as God's lovingly created children. So we've talked about that as a creative act of God, we're deeply loved and made to love God and others. And that's rooted in our being the beloved of God, planted in the Holy Spirit, created to live abundantly, 
And this abundant life is found uh, not in consumption, <laughs> but by creating and giving of ourselves through our gifts, like stewardship, generosity, friendship, community. And the last several weeks, we've dived more deeply into what it means to live as a Christ-centered community. We talked about love, forgiveness, discovering and using our gifts, being a community that stands for justice, as Jesus did, and that practices hospitality, especially to the strangers and outsiders among us. So in many ways, all of these topics culminate in what the next few weeks we'll be talking about, and that is how as creators and not consumers, we change the world. And so after all, here at River Heights, as you heard earlier, we say we like to help a growing number of people love God, love people, and change the world. I'm pretty convinced that we can, if we can do those first two really well, loving God and loving people, the world can't help but be changed. Now, one of the ways I believe God is calling us to do this is by seeing the very places where we live, our neighborhoods, as holy ground. And what I mean by that is that as believers made in the image of God, we're called not only to demonstrate the love of Christ to our neighbors through our lives, but we're also called to see the image of God in our neighbors. And so before we dive deeper, I just want to say a quick prayer as we enter in. Um, God, I pray that as we talk about what it means to be uh, neighbors, as what, what it means to be um, present in the places where we live, God, I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts to what it is that you would have us do and be in our, uh, the context that we find ourselves in. We thank you, God, that you desire to use us to bless others and to use those around us to bless us as well. Amen. So this morning, I want to bring us back to actually the beginning where we started our series in Genesis, because I think it makes a powerful statement about God's desire to see human beings invest themselves in the particular places where they find themselves. In Genesis 1, we read about God creating the world all the elements that make up the environment around us. And lastly, God creating human beings in his own image and declaring it all very good. In Genesis 2, we read another account of creation that supports Genesis 1, but this one focuses more on God's planting of the Garden of Eden, the location that he places Adam. So in Genesis 2.8, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. It then goes on to describe in detail what the garden looked like, about the rivers and minerals that were there, and of God's charge to Adam to tend and watch over it. And best of all, God's creation of Eve, seeing that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And I like this part, so I'm going to quote verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed. <laughs> it's really there. <laughs> in his book, Where Mortals Dwell, Craig, Bartholomew takes an in-depth look at what the Bible has to say about God and the idea of place, or specifically the physical place where we're located. He argues that in the creation narrative, the move from Genesis 1 to 2 is a move that takes us from the broad to the particular. And he says this, Genesis 1 presents the world as a potential place for human habitation. But the nature of Adam and Eve as embodied earthlings means that the human story itself must begin in a specific place, in this case, Eden, 
When we read Genesis, we see that to be human means to be located and placed. Adam and Eve's story becomes particular by the fact that they're placed in Eden. And he goes on to say that wherever we are placed, wherever we find ourselves, God's desire is that we creatively engage with our context. In fact, God has already actually created us to be people who turn spaces, broadly speaking, into particular places of meaning and significance, where we don't just simply live in them, but contribute to the flourishing of the place through our interactions with each other and taking care of the environment around us. And doing this, we desire the best for our surroundings, and that blesses us as well. So God had that same desire for the people of Israel. If you look in the Bible, you find out that though they wandered for many years, there was always that goal of the promised land that would be the place in which they would settle. Unfortunately, once they got there, it didn't last very long, and they ended up being conquered and exiled from Jerusalem and Babylon. However, this is what God tells the Israelites in Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away in this part in particular, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So even in the land of their enemies, God was calling them to create places, neighborhoods, in which they contributed to its thriving, to its safety, and its welfare, and as a result, they were blessed by it as well. God also demonstrates this idea by the story that we all trust and know that God actually entered into this world in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, who was located in a particular time and place in history. We call this the incarnation. God planting God's self in the world to be an example of how we are to live and to work and to bring about God's kingdom here on earth, wherever we might find ourselves. One theologian put it this way, in the incarnation, God becomes a neighbor to all humanity. And then he calls us to be that to our neighbors as well. So how many of you see your neighborhoods as the place where God has planted you to work for its peace and prosperity? How many of you see each of your neighbors, even the challenging ones, <laughs> as fellow human beings made in the image of God, possessing unique gifts and skills that can contribute to your own thriving and the thriving of the neighborhood. Preston Batu said this well in his book, The Bees of Rainbow Falls. He said, this is a long quote, but it's worth it, I promise. When we step out onto our front porch, we often only see a row of houses, a few cars, and maybe that stray cat. We're hardly inspired to see our neighbors or anything other than, as anything other than mere people who live down our street. But when we begin to cultivate a sense of awe for the world around us, the people on our block begin to take on new vibrancy. Jesus' command to love our neighbor sounds less like a dull duty and more like an invitation into relationship with God's most astonishing, sublime creation. 
Even wounded, used, and broken versions of God's creation should draw our wordless, wordless awe from each of us. That kid who ran across your lawn is a one-of-a-kind, deeply loved and adored person who is created in the image of God. Be in awe of those around you, and you'll learn about the character and nature of God at work in you. And I love this because it challenges me to see the image of God in every person I come in contact with, which in turn leads me to see their inherent value as human beings, and most of all, the awareness that not only does God want to bless, use me to bless them, but that I can be blessed through them as well. I'll actually know more of who God is by getting to know my neighbor. And I've experienced this firsthand in the almost six years that we've lived in our neighborhood. When we moved in, the family next door came over and welcomed us And as we were still hauling things from our previous place. We discovered that their youngest daughter and my only son at the time were the same age and that they had two other daughters. Little did I know that God would use the mother to bless me in more ways than even she realizes. And I asked her if I could talk about her. So, Though we come from different faith backgrounds, she has truly been the hands, feet, and heart of Jesus to me in these years that have been some of the most challenging as I've been home full-time with small children. Because I would have two more in the first three years of living there. As we've spent time watching our kids grow up together, our relationship has also grown to one of mutual respect and admiration. It's taken time, many exchanges of self-giving, sharing, and listening, but it's been so worth it to not only be able to call her my neighbor, but also my friend who I love dearly and trust fully. I see the image of God in her, and I am in awe at the ways that Jesus has demonstrated his love for me through her. And I'll just give one example of many that I think this shows, that shows us well. This past year, uh, my preschool-age son wasn't allowed to ride the bus with his first-grade brother because of COVID protocols. So they were both going to the same school, but I had every Tuesday and Thursday I had to drive my preschooler to the same place that my son was taking the bus because he wanted to ride the bus, of course, not have me take him because buses are cool. Um, so the pickup time, though, to go get him from school happened to be right at the time when my daughter is usually napping. Now I've worked really hard <laughs> to try to get some consistency <laughs> with that, and my kids have been great nappers as a result, and that's sacred time for me, so I really didn't want to have to either wake her up from her nap or wait too long until she's overtired. Um, so my neighbor knew this, my friend knew this, and so she offered that she would take my daughter's monitor from her room, her sleep monitor, every Tuesday and Thursday at 1 o'clock, and that way, um, if she ever uh, woke up, then she'd be able to be, go over to her and be there with her until I got home picking up my son. Um, she did this the entire school year, uh, when she could have been doing something else before her own kids got home, because her kids are all in school right now. I mean, if that doesn't demonstrate selfless love, <laughs> giving, and compassion, I don't know what does, um, and it meant a lot to me. And the fact that I had no problems at all trusting her with this is such a gift. But I love her not only because of all she's done to help me out these years, I love her because I have gotten to know what an incredible person she is, how gifted she is in so many ways. And I truly enjoy who she is as a human being in the image of God. 
And you know, this motivates me to want to bless her in return. I'm so thankful that God has opened my eyes and heart to pursue a relationship with her beyond just the occasional wave from our yards, which is nice too, but I'm very thankful it's gone beyond that. And she and another newer family on our street, um, we've kind of almost created an extended family of sorts, which is incredibly crucial this past year as we weren't able to do that. But we were able to watch one another's kids. We encourage each other. We teach them. We admonish them when we need to. Um, and our kids love all of us. And they love each other and fight with each other like siblings do. Um, it's been a true example, really, of trust built over time through relationship. And I believe that God is inviting us into this, into a new way of seeing and being in the context that we live in every day. It's an invitation, I think, to ask of the Holy Spirit to help us recognize the image of God in every person and the creative gifts that each person has been given and being made in that image. And when we do this, we'll recognize more and more that the very neighborhoods we live in are holy ground. They're ripe for spirit-led conversations and relationships. And as believers, we actually embody the spirit of Christ when we value each person that we come in contact with. We only need to look at the Gospels to see that Jesus was all about finding creative ways to bring people together, calling people to a self-giving life, and calling out the gifts and potential in others. But I know that all of this might sound good in theory, but the reality is that interacting with our neighbors like this and seeing them this way is often not very easy. The well-known preacher and author, Barbara Brown Taylor, said it well. She said, the last place most people look for God is right under their feet, in the everyday activities, accidents, and encounters of their lives. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your relationship with your neighbors like? I'm talking about the people living right next door to you or across the street from you or down the road from you, maybe down the hall from you or above or below you if you live in an apartment complex. What emotions come to mind when you think of your neighbors? Joy, anger, fear maybe, annoyance, maybe thankfulness, indifference, avoidance. Do you see God in them? How many of you wake up in the morning and feel like this? <laughs> it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? 
I'm sure not many of you feel like that, do you, when you think about your neighborhoods or when you wake up in the morning. And yet, how many of us cried when we watched the documentary or the Hollywood film about Mr. Rogers and his dreams? Isn't there something in all of us that longs for this, that longs for this kind of connection and acceptance and love from those that we're surrounded by every day? I'm so thankful that we can receive that through this community, but think of the people that are around you every day. Of course, it can seem great, um, but might sound like an unrealistic idea. The reality is quite different for most of us. Most of us don't feel like we have the time or energy to invest in our neighbors or neighborhoods, or maybe we don't even have the desire to. There's actually a survey done that right before the COVID pandemic hit the US, and they came up with these statistics. Nearly one in six people don't know any of their neighbors' names, and this rises to a quarter for those in their 30s. People who live in apartments are the least likely to know their neighbor's name, with 21% answering that they don't know any of their names. And the age group most likely to know the names of 11 or more of their neighbors were those aged 60 and older, with the highest, second highest being those in their 20s. The least, those in their 30s. Kind of interesting, huh? I'm convinced that the only way that we can truly live this out is with the help of the Holy Spirit. We need a complete mind shift and more of the heart of Jesus to see our neighbors and neighborhoods this way. We need the Spirit of Christ to create neighborhoods of sacred spaces where we live out gospel values like compassion and love for one another in spite of our differences. And I believe that we are in a, in a crucial moment in time right now where we could be more open to how God would have us be with those around us. You know, there's actually been research done on how the brain processes change, and that suggests that it takes a lot to change ingrained ways of thinking. Sorry to disappoint those of you who think that arguing your point long enough can do that. <laughs> it takes more than that. <laughs> Usually, it takes some kind of catalytic event that unnerves us enough to cause our brains to rethink information or to rewire, in a sense. What this means is that to overcome the resistance we naturally have to forming new relational patterns, we actually need to experience some significant distress. I don't know, I think a global pandemic might fall into the experiences of distress category. Um, and, you know, if it takes a type of crisis event in order to change the way any of us sees our world, I think whether or not we wanted it to, this last year has left our brains a little more susceptible to rewiring or rethinking our way of seeing and being in the world. And it really does require a change in vision. And I know from reading the Bible and from my, witnessing it in my own life and the lives of many others, many of you even in this room, that Jesus does stuff like that. When people meet Jesus, they can't help but be changed. And many are never the same again. I think that's the kind of change that I'm talking about. In the same way this past year, while it was traumatic on many levels, it's also likely made many of us appreciate certain things that maybe we didn't appreciate before, or maybe made us reevaluate aspects of our lives 
as so much in our lives was for, were forced to change. And maybe, just maybe, we're maybe open to the Holy Spirit permanently changing our patterns of living. Seeing ourselves as creators that create cultures that sustain community life, rather than being consumers that purchase things all the time that maybe we could even find in the gifts of our neighbors in our neighborhood. We can see ourselves as creators rather than spectators, where we see the world as one of abundance instead of scarcity, and where we can see each person in our neighborhood as having a valuable role. So do you think that God might be inviting you to new ways of thinking and therefore new ways of seeing and being in the world? And as I was thinking about this, I, I felt like God wanted to say, if you haven't even experienced the life-changing transformation of a relationship with Jesus ever before, God wants to give every person that. And what better time to do that than now? And so if that's something that maybe you haven't experienced or want to, I just want to invite you today to talk to God about that and to know that when you enter into that relationship with God and with Jesus, you will be transformed. Your life will be transformed. And I know as we talk about being transformed in our neighborhoods and, uh, and the ways of seeing our neighborhoods, um, Many of us might feel that we are exhausted. Exhausted by the weight and the trauma of the past year. And yet, I can't help that think, but think that by living in this new way of seeing and being, we might actually become energized as we have the opportunity to gather together once more again. I mean, how many of you suddenly have a full calendar this summer? I think a lot of us. <laughs> we can't be that tired if we're trying to find any excuse for a party. <laughs> I know that I am. What could we create together with those that live next door to us or across the street from us or down the road from us if we saw these places as an extension of our own well-being? Just like we read about in Jeremiah. I believe that the thriving of our neighborhoods is a solution to many of the challenges that seem present in our lives and in the lives around us. We've had quite the year of political and racial unrest, differing opinions that have resulted in the breakdown of relationships and less compassion than compassionate uh, behavior towards those who think differently than us. But studies have shown that as people know their neighbors when they have real relationships with them and they're working together for the welfare of the neighborhood, crime rates go down, racism and discrimination lessen, children are better cared for, depression, anxiety, and loneliness decrease. Just think what the ripple effects of this can be. We've talked a lot these past few weeks about the church and our homes being an example or a microcosm of sorts of this kind of community that exists as a sacred space, a holy ground, a place of beauty, connection, provision, compassion, relationship. What if we saw our neighborhoods that way too, as sacred spaces and holy ground? How might Jesus be asking you to envision this kind of community in your neighborhood? 
I want to share one more story from my neighborhood that encouraged my thinking even more about neighborhoods as sacred spaces. Spaces where we're all invited to experience the love of God through one another, where kingdom values are lived out and can be a catalyst for change in our own lives, in the lives of our neighbors, and ultimately change throughout our cities and our world. Our neighbors across the street were some of the first people to bring us a gift when we moved in. They were a couple in their 50s and 60s, and it wasn't long before we got to know the husband quite well. Being a chain smoker and social person, he was often out in front of his house interacting with those who might happen by, and it seemed that almost everyone in the neighborhood knew him. He might have been a little rough around the edges, but we really connected with him, and he really liked kids. And since he didn't have any of his own, he was often ready with a popsicle or a piece of candy to, to share. He also served as the neighborhood watch, so we always knew if there was something out of the ordinary, whether we wanted to or not. <laughs> but I was, when I was feeling particularly isolated in our first couple of years living there, I had two kids and another baby on the way, just seeing him out front of his house became a source of comfort to me. It was a sense that I wasn't alone. He'd often cross the street to come and talk to us if we were out, and we had them over for dinner once, and they had us. And... But one morning, as Brett was about to leave, my husband Brett was about to leave for work, we saw an ambulance pull up and paramedics enter the home. My husband immediately went over to see if he could help in any way. He's a hospital chaplain, so those skills were kicking in. And shockingly, we discovered, though, that John had unexpectedly passed away in his sleep. And I'm still affected by the sudden loss of him and all the hopes I had for our future relationship. And I'm really thankful that we still have a relationship with his wife as well. Though we had only lived in our house for about two years, his wife asked if Brett would be willing to do the funeral service, as they really hadn't been connected to a church for quite some time. Brett agreed, and I was given the privilege also then to sing a song at the funeral. I mean, it was quite the experience and honor to be asked to be such a big part of honoring his life and being drawn into their family in that way. You know, all of these people, and there are many more that I didn't even mention, live within a half block radius. All are different, but all of us became connected through different things and most notably came to trust one another as we became aware of the challenges and the struggles that people were going through. We've had two cancer diagnoses, other medical conditions, an unplanned pregnancy, new job, new phases of life with kids, retirement, and we've been able to help and comfort and come alongside each other in various ways in the midst of it all. Are we all best friends? No. Do we all have the same views? Definitely not. In fact, there are some significant differences and judgments that I think over time have become better understood as we've gotten to know each other better. And we can't know where we're struggling if we aren't vulnerable enough to share those things with others. So this kind of vulnerability that we've had has strengthened relationships and invited others into greater intimacy together. But sometimes it starts with just small gestures of things like small talk, which I generally don't like very much or it's hard for me. But I'm realizing how important that is in making an initial connection, asking questions to further the conversation, 
offering acts of service, but also recognizing how we can see and ask our neighbors to share of their gifts as well. It's a way to start that process of vulnerability. And I know it's been a while since we've been uh, in a place where we've had freedom to maybe reach out in these ways, but I think things are changing. We're all here together, right? And so I want to ask you today if you might be the one to initiate in your neighborhood, to break through the barriers of uncertainty and change. Someone needs to be the first to take the first step, and I think we're all longing for that kind of connection. And maybe we have to relearn some things, or maybe if we weren't well-versed in them before, we might have a greater appreciation for them now. Things like small talk and smiles and touch and service and reaching out, inviting people. And so this morning, I want to invite us into thinking about what that might look like in our neighborhoods with your neighbors and the places where you find yourself in your context. And I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as they do, we normally have a few tips to offer at the end that things to kind of take away and go with to kind of continue in this, um, in this mentality that we have right now. Um, and so the first one is, and I want us to do this together, is to just pray, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you new eyes and heart for your neighborhood and your neighbors. Because I think that it requires a new way of seeing that God can give us in order to be able to see the image of God in each person and to reach out in that way. And then secondly, I invite you to read John 1, 1 through 18. It's a beautiful passage about God coming into the world in the person of Jesus and what that means and the transformative way that that, that happened. And then as you read that, maybe think about how God wants to live incarnationally through you in your neighborhood, to be Christ through you. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to make the first move. Go beyond hello and ask a question to further conversation. And for extra credit, those of you who are extra credit kind of people, you can go beyond hello and asking a question to actually thinking about a neighbor that maybe you could partner with to work on a block party of some kind or a monthly gathering to bring people together. Maybe a soup night, because that's what my neighbor and I are going to be starting soon. I read a book called Soup Night, and I thought it was such a great idea where they actually had uh, one night a month, the whole neighborhood knew someone provided soup, and everyone just brought their own bowls and spoons and other food, and so kids could eat. I mean, everyone has to eat dinner, right? And so they brought everyone together, and this became a monthly thing that they did, and it was transformative for many of the communities that have tried this. And so we'll see what happens, but I think it's a great way to encourage people to connect that might not otherwise connect. And everybody likes food, right? I think that's the big connecting point for many of us. So I want to just pray for us right now that God would come and uh, help us to see the ways that he's working in our neighborhoods and in our neighbors and give us courage as well. So God, I just invite your Holy Spirit here. God, I pray that you'd give us softened hearts and minds to be able to see the things that you're doing around us in the people that we see every day where we live. And God, that you would give us a new vision for our neighborhoods, that we might be able to make them places that are sacred, that are holy ground, where we can see you moving in incredible ways. 
in ways that can ripple outwards to the areas around us. God, we need these kind of connections. We need this kind of care and uh, support for one another. And I really do think it will change the world. So God, I thank you for what you want to do here this morning. and pray that we would just continue to receive from you as we go from this place. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I just wanted to, um, to say that you know, we're going to have prayer teams up here, and thankfully we've started that again, which is really awesome. So if any of you are on the prayer team and want to make your way up front, um, these people will be available to you to come and pray at any time during worship if there are any needs that you have. Um, but some specific things, um, of course, any of the things that I mentioned uh, in today, but also um, I had a specific thought of, I think sometimes this is more difficult for men to do sometimes, and I think... As a mother, it's easy for me sometimes to connect with people because of our kids um, interacting. Um, but sometimes the dads don't often get to know each other very well. And so um, if, that's, if you're a dad and you find it hard to connect with your neighbors, that might be something you want to pray for. Just that um, maybe as a family unit, you can be developing relationships with, with one another. Because um, I think that's really important as well. And um, just also if you feel like you just need courage to make the first move, to be able to reach out and say, say hello, um, ask a question. So, so if you have any of those things or if you need prayer for healing or support in any way, please come and receive prayer and we'd be happy to pray uh, with you and for you. And also feel free to use the connection cards as well. So. Thank you for being here this morning. May God continue to pour out his spirit in you so that you might be able to see those around you in the image of God and to be able to be the image of God to others as well. So thank you. We're going to continue to worship together now. I'm going to invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to have our time to be able to respond to God. That's one of our most important opportunities that we can take on a Sunday morning. We do welcome you to come forward and get some, get some prayer uh, during this song. We're going to do one more together. So let's just take a moment and think, God, what, what do you have for me from what we've heard today? What have you been speaking to me? God, it's our desire to say yes to you. spirit burn together and I've just been thinking about this is not a this is not a try harder kind of thing this is asking uh, asking God uh, the very presence and power and love of God to fill us to give us the ability to do what God is asking us to do okay so I just want to make a space for us to say Holy Spirit would you fill me so if you'd like that uh, if you'd just like the uh, you know the empowering the filling of of the Spirit of God, why don't you just put your hands out in front of you? This is, uh, just reminded, this is something that you're built for, that you're built to hold the Holy Spirit. You're built to hold the very presence of God in you. This isn't like an alien activity. This is the deepest thing that we're built for, to contain and partner with God. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now? you fill us again today 
Would you give us uh, everything that we need in order to take uh, the steps forward that you have for us? Thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you don't say, hey, take care of this and check back with me. You say, go with me. God, would you give us uh, the ability through your spirit to step forward, to go with you. Fill your people, Lord. Fill your people, Lord. Especially if you notice that uh, the Lord's doing something with you, do come forward and uh, just have somebody bless uh, what God's doing, okay? Let's worship together.